Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. And now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host. I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. Thank you guys for joining us today. We are so thankful to have the opportunity to have a conversation with you. And uh, we have a couple of ways that you can plug in with us. Then number one, you can go to thehousinghour.com. Thehousinghour.com is sort of the treasure trove of all of our information. You can find our past shows, our current shows, and we'd love for you to share those with with friends and family. Uh, definitely appreciate that. And that's really the main reason that we started this show. Our mission was to take uh, the information that maybe you don't hear every day and bring it to the community in a, in a thoughtful and hopefully educational and definitely with Mark here entertaining way. And so I think we've accomplished that over the last several years and uh, excited to be here in studio with a great guy that I just met, but I've heard a lot of good things about him. So I'm going to open it up and just introduce him. We have with us in studio, Daniel Park. He is a real estate agent with the Nick Nicade. Is that how you pronounce his last name? Nico, that's right. I always got that wrong. It doesn't really go like it's, it shows that it's spelled, does it? So uh, Daniel has been on that team for three years and uh, a little over three years. And first of all, Daniel, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you. And when we first talked about having you on, first of all, um, I didn't recognize you when, when you came in because you had a beard in, in the picture that I saw last. No beard now, or sort of a little bit of one. Sure. So the look is good on you. Um, I couldn't do that, but that looks good on you. <laughs> Um, but Kim, Kim Martin over at our MIG office works with Nick a lot. And so there's, there's that relationship that's already been established. And, right. um, uh, Kim introduced me to you through email and really it was interesting because you have a, a unique past in, in what you learned and what you're doing today. First, why don't we do this? Give me the 30,000 foot view of kind of who you are and, and how you got to where you are. And let's, how about jump from there? Sure. Sounds great. Well, thanks again for having me. This is really fun uh, to be here today. Um, I grew up in Knoxville, and my dad just retired, but was a professor at the university uh, for almost 40 years. So, grew up a Vol fan, but found myself at Clemson University for undergrad and loved it. I uh, had a great time there. Studied psychology, um, played probably a little too much Ultimate Frisbee when I should have <laughs> been in class, but... Yeah. But really enjoyed my time at Clemson. And following that, um, one of my good friends from school, we uh, pursued what we felt like was a crazy dream, and that was to move to Europe and start a hostel. Mm. Um, if you're not familiar with a hostel, it's it's like a hotel, but with more dorm-style rooms. So fast forward a few years, we got to partner with some folks there in Prague, and we opened a place called Mosaic House, and it's still there today. So if you guys make it over to Prague and need a place to stay, you should look it up. Um, For sure. Do we get a discount? Yeah. I, I might be able to swing that. <laughs> some of our staff we hired are still there, so yeah. uh, we can work on that for sure. That's but cool. that was a great experience. We We were... A little bit wide-eyed and naive being in our 20s and in Europe and trying to run this business. And it actually grew to be a much bigger uh, undertaking than we imagined. It had 330 beds 
Mm-hmm. It's about 45,000 square feet, this old building in, in Prague near the city center. So mm-hmm. great experience. Met my wife there. She was traveling through. We had a mutual friend who connected us, and we met. And that is also a bit of a wild story, but we got married a year later after that. So then she moves over to Prague. Um, fast forward a little from there. We were living in Texas, and I was in commercial real estate. And I didn't know anything about real estate, but I knew these business owners and they took a chance on me and brought me on board. And I just, I loved it. But what I realized, what drew me um, to those guys in that company was the culture they established there. Mm. So it did have a little to do with real estate, but it was really the way that employees and were valued and the team operated together and um, ended up moving back home to Knoxville after my wife and I had two girls. Now we have two girls and two boys. Um, oh my God. And let's we'll, uh, we'll stop here for a minute. Okay. <laughs> hold on. Because you're, you're in the millennial generation, I'm assuming, right? I'm right on the edge. I was born in 82. So okay. yes. Well, technically from the data that I just saw at a leadership conference last week, okay. seven, 1977 is officially oh, okay. because what his measurement was, was when the behavior started. Sure. So that they that they apply to that. So mm-hmm. so reason I'm mentioning that first because I want to back up a moment to your sure. venture in, in Prague, because for your generation and mine, um, I'm right on the cusp there. Um, there there is a totally different way of sort of identifying goals and what what it is that you want to accomplish and what it was that our you know Gen X parents sort of um, taught us and. Um, and not Gen X, I mean, baby mm-hmm. boomer, baby boomer, some millennials have Gen X parents mm-hmm. actually, but your idea was, look, I need, I want to, I want to explore. I want to get out of this comfort zone that I'm in and there's a lot of unknowns, but what, maybe you touched on it, but I'd love for you to touch on it again. What gave you sort of the motivation and the courage to just pick up and just go somewhere where you knew nobody knew nothing and except for just exploring Google to learn something? Sure, that's a great question. Part of what gave me the courage was having my buddy David mm-hmm. do it with me, so I wasn't totally isolated. Right. Um, friendships, close friendships are really important to me, and so getting to do that with one of my best friends mm-hmm. um, certainly provided a lot of the courage. I think, secondly, I'd just grown up kind of fascinated by Europe. I had mm-hmm. the chance to go a few times when I was in high school, and my grandfather was from Budapest, Hungary. Mm. Uh, I never really knew him. He died when I was young. But um, I'd always been drawn to the European culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think this is probably going to sound like a pretty typical millennial. But for me, there was so much value in the experience mm. <laughs> rather than, you know, playing it safe and hopefully saving some money. Because when I moved back from Europe... Pretty much had no money, yeah, uh, right. but I had this incredible experience. Friends from Mosaic, all over. Mosaic House was started. Mosaic House was started, right. and you know, in the early days, I I never really thought it would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my friend David was a little more. I'm pretty optimistic, but he he just really believed it was gonna it was gonna come together. And I thought, I mean, we're you know 22, 23. We don't know what we're doing here. Um, but thankfully we got connected to some great people, uh, who are still in Prague and, um, they, they jumped in with us. They liked our vision and said we can help. That's funny. I was just, I literally was just going to ask you, what was your vision there? Because the reason I ask that is because 
mosaic house, there's a meaning behind the mosaic, I'm right. assuming. But then there's also this drive that you obviously had, you and your your friend Daniel. Did you David? David, I'm mm-hmm. getting all names wrong. You're okay. Daniel. Um, what was the mission? Because I, I see the vision in being that you have this hostel in Prague that can provide affordable, like mm-hmm. short term living so that people can experience Europe in a way that's not going to cost them an arm and a leg. Correct. You know what I mean? It, what was the bigger vision? So that was part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we had stayed at some hostels around Europe, and a lot of them, you know, you, you're basically getting a bunk bed, and mm. that's about it. Mm-hmm. And it's not super nice, no nothing fancy, and maybe even a little bit dirty, yeah. and you just, you're unsure as to Right. There's services being there. provided that you don't need, maybe. Correct. Those type of things. Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. So we, our vision with Mosaic House was to establish a place that was really nice and really clean, and it was really the front end of what um, the traveling industry started calling flash packers. So, you know, in the mm. little earlier days, you had backpackers, you know, kind of grunge, let's get the cheapest bed we can. This kind of, this opened the door to what we called flash packers. And we didn't name, that wasn't our origination coming up with that name, but it was people who had a little more money. They probably had a rolling suitcase instead of a big old backpack. You know, they were willing to spend a little more per night for some of the amenities. And what was interesting about hostels in general was they were becoming very communal, where people would come and and hang out there. It wasn't just a place to sleep. Um, So a lot of them started opening cafes and restaurants within the hostels, that sort of thing. And so we had, um, we really embraced that with Mosaic House. We had a theater room where we had movies showing. People could just relax, watch a movie. We did have a full restaurant and bar there as well. Um, We tried to host a lot of events. We had a stage there because it was a converted school. And so we had live music a few nights this a week. This is incredible. I mean, really? Yeah. This is like, we could have spent the whole time talking about this <laughs> because did you actually have to secure property? Did you have to purchase property over there or did you, did you sublease? Or? We, we, we leased. Mm-hmm. So we, um, and we really left this in the hands of our partners who were much uh, wiser and smarter financially. What language um, do they even speak in Prague? They speak Czech. Czech. So okay. it's a Slavic style language. Very hard. I had a difficult time learning. Uh, but at Mosaic House, it was so important that everyone spoke English sure. because all of our guests pretty much knew enough English to get around. That uh, is so cool. We so. only have about 30 seconds left in this sure. segment, so we can we can just wrap up on that. But I do want to catch back up on it because I didn't really get to what it was that signaled to you that this journey had ended for you in Prague. I think that, how did you wrap that up? I'd love to hear that. We'll talk about that and much more right after these messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, I don't think I told you this, but you can catch us on Facebook.com slash The Housing Hour. Also on Twitter at The Housing Hour. And you can also find Mark on Pinterest as well. Oh, right? yeah. So oh, yeah. he's... <laughs> After <laughs> like, 10 years of that joke, yeah. I still don't know I Pinterest. Know. It's, a, it. it's only eight years, actually. Okay. But um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so we are having a great conversation with uh, Daniel here. We're, we're talking about his initial... Um, I guess 
career, essentially. I mean, it was basically what you started with, had went to Prague, had this dream to do what he, you know, saw come to life, which was the Mosaic House, and wanted to explore Europe, I think, and also had a, a grandparent who was from uh, Budapest, Hungary. Is that what you said? Correct, and, yes. Um, didn't meet him, but just know that that was sort of in your blood in a mm-hmm. way. Right. Um, I've been to Europe uh, several times, and I agree with the the whole culture and the feel. It's just, it's an extraordinary place to go, and I, I love it. Yes. Um, but so you had the Mosaic House, which was sort of a precursor in a lot of ways to what you're doing current day, because today you're helping people with finding a home, selling a home. You're, you're in a way, acting as not that they're going to a, a temporary housing. You're helping right. them with sort of their final, hopefully, you know, destination for some time. But if you don't mind, just put a bow on the Mosaic House for me. When did you know that it was time for you to come home? It probably has something to do with your soon-to-be wife and so forth. That, that's absolutely right. Yeah. So <laughs> after we got married and uh, my wife and I, Brooke, had lived there for a year together, um, we we looked at each other. And, you know, when I first moved there, I was, I think, 27 and mm-hmm. single mm-hmm. and just... I had, you know, people say, how long are you going to be in Prague? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I, and I do remember saying, I want to be here long enough to where it feels like home. That was important to me to, to really give it some time and not have this be a short, real short-term uh, stint. But I, didn't, I also didn't think I'd be there forever. Um, but as Brooke and I started evaluating our lives and goals and dreams now together, where, you know, initially it had just been for me, but now we're, we're married and, and considering, you know, our life with potentially kids, that sort of thing. And so the thought was, well, now we have four, we did at the time, we didn't know how that would go, but, uh, so we just, you know, we felt like we, we did not want to stay and start that next part of our lives. And so, it was tough. It was a really tough decision. I called a few mentors of mine to talk through it because this had been a long dream of mine to be in Prague and, and it had come true and it was incredible. It was hard too. It was really tiring. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. normal for Americans living abroad, but I just was tired a lot. Yeah. Um, it was also cold, you know, yeah. I grew up here in the South and it was not as warm there. Um, but anyway, so that that's really what led us to say, I think it's time to go back to the States. And shortly shortly after we did uh, is when we found out we were having a little girl. And, mm. and so then, as I mentioned before, now we've got four kiddos. So so you went to Texas, and there you found a builder that because you obviously had some interest in real estate. Yep. And so you got your real estate license. Mm-hmm. You were married, had mm-hmm. that first child. Yep. Then started, I guess, um, listing these properties for the builder who was building spec homes. Yeah. What that, year are we talking? That's here? part of it. So we moved there in 2011. Okay. And just a quick interjection there. Mm-hmm. I, I did spend a little bit of time uh, at Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. I worked with a college ministry called Breakaway Ministries. And I loved it there. Had some great friends. A mentor of mine was mm-hmm. the director. Um, knew that it probably wasn't a long-term it, but um, it was actually through the ministry that I met these local business owners that were developers, and I didn't even know what that meant at the time. I but gotcha. uh, okay. All right. I said, "Hey, are you guys hiring? Because uh, I think it's it's a good time for me to be transitioning." And they said, um, "Send us your strengths finders, and let's talk." So they didn't ask for a resume. I thought that was very interesting. Hmm. Um, 
but they hired me and really opened the door into real estate for me. So I quickly, after that, got my license. I was involved in commercial property management and then also working a little with this builder mm. doing spec homes. So three more, three more kids came. Mm-hmm. You moved back to Tennessee. Did you have all the kids in Texas? The girls were born in Texas okay. and then the boys here. So, oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So, so you made it to Tennessee. The reason I'm trying to speed up a little bit, cause I want to get to the heart of the, what sure. you talk, what you, what you do now. Um, cause all that stuff, matter of fact, I'd love to have you back on the show to talk just love through, you know, that, that ministry that you found, mm-hmm. um, more about Prague. I mean, there's a lot more that I'd like to talk about, but, um, the bottom line is, is that and I'm going to go here with this. You know, there's there's something that there's been signaled with this this uh, millennial generation, and what they found in the data is, is that there's a been a there's a point in the millennials' lifespan that they have broken apart, right? Mm-hmm. So part of millennials have continued down the road that they were in, which was sort of delaying life um, right. accomplishments for mm-hmm. that that uh, sort of experience and whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like you sort of sure. touched on it. And then there's another segment that have said, you know what, it's time to get going. And the thing is, is that the people that are most critical of the branch of the millennials that are still just sort of in the experience phase, the most critical of any of those is the, the other branch of millennials mm-hmm. because they're, they're saying you're giving us a bad name. Right. 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 So you obviously went on the branch of let's, then that was kind of, a, the hostel was still you doing something, but sure. you, it looks like the branch that you went down, okay, starting a family, doing some other things. Right. So when you got to Knoxville, you had a lot of experience at that point in just life, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. talk me through why it was, because you went back to school, right, at some point in here. Right, yep. Talk to me about how you got to, to where you are today and then how you bring in this very interesting psychological perspective. Sure. So a few years ago, um, I I was in real estate. I was still more on the commercial side, but I was managing some residential properties. And I just knew I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. And I thought, I'm in my early 30s. I've got three kids. I feel like I should kind of have this figured out, Right, uh, is what I was telling myself. And a a buddy of mine suggested I go out to a a leadership workshop, which was in California with um, two psychologists, Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Um, Oh, wow. I know those guys. You know those guys. They wrote a book called Boundaries. A lot of people recognize. Um, So I went out there. That was, gosh, three years now that when I went there and had my my eyes open to this world of some people call it coaching. It's kind of consulting. It's not counseling. It's not like um, acting as a therapist, but it's going into organizations and helping them with their culture. And a lot of it centers around psychology and emotional intelligence, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I just, I remember sitting there in California thinking, I think that's what I want to do. And with my undergrad in psychology, I had a little bit of foundation for that. And, uh, so, you know, really wanted to, to pursue that, you know, my wife, when I went home and said, I think I want to go back to school. Uh, you can imagine that she rolled her eyes, uh, at that, that thought being in my thirties, three kids, really, we're talking about going back to school. 
Um, True millennial. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Thankfully, um, she was very supportive. So I went back and got a master's in what's called organizational leadership through Concordia University wow. in California. Predo- organizational uh, leadership. Organizational leadership. So think, um, I mean, I don't have an MBA. For those that are more familiar with that concept, it's similar. However, it's the relational side. Mm. So I assume less technical, less numbers, less accounting, more how do you handle conflict? How do you motivate people? That sort Sign of thing. me up for that because I don't want to deal with numbers, but I have to. Yes. That's okay. Oh, that, we're wired the same way. I loved it and, mm. and really enjoyed the experience. Just graduated in May and um, really want to work toward launching a, a company. And I've got a couple partners here in town that we're going to link together to do it. Um to offer that service to local organizations, or it doesn't have to be local, although we don't want to travel too much, um, working with leaders, helping them grow in EQ, emotional intelligence, some people call it emotional fitness. Um, but, you know, I'm in real estate, and I love real estate, and I really enjoy the relationships with clients and with other agents. And so I started thinking, how can I blend these two worlds and thankfully at Keller Williams they were really on board with this idea that I pitched to start teaching a class I just it's not super creative but called emotional intelligence and real estate and so I've done that a few times now done for some done it for some other firms as well and I'll be at the Farragut office tomorrow teaching it as well so when you talk about emotional intelligence, let's make sure we debunk anything that people are thinking. So you don't mean like they're not smart. You're talking about this other level of your psyche or your intelligence where you go beyond just like what's on the surface. You're really start trying to dive into right. what drives this person. Right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. The best way I think for me to define it is it's knowing and managing your own emotions as well as knowing and managing the emotions of others. Yeah. Uh, is kind of how to, I think about emotional intelligence. Yeah. Um, Have you ever read the book, um, hurting tigers? I've not Todd Henry. I've heard of it. I've not read it. Well, we're gosh, two minutes went by so fast. Well, we're going to continue this conversation. It's a great book. Todd Henry, he's great. a really good speaker, but he's also a good author. And it's how to how to manage creative people. But we're going to continue this conversation right after these messages. Take a number. I was lightning before the thunder. Thunder. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for stopping by. Uh, we have in studio with us, of course, Mark, our fearless uh, co-producer, co-manager, co-everything. He is he is basically doing a lot for us, executive producer and co-host. And also in studio, we have uh, Daniel with us. And Daniel has been kind enough to come in and teach us a little bit about what he's been doing and teach us really some stuff that I, I hadn't even thought about within the real estate community. Um, and a real estate transaction, when, when you purchase a home and or let's say you list a home, uh, it's raining really hard outside. I don't know if you can hear that right now, but... Um, it's very emotional. It's very. very emotional. And for the real estate agent also, and I've just had enough experience with this that I know, is that you also are dealing not just with the buyers, but you're also dealing with the other agent as well. Right. And there's a lot of interaction that occurs and there's a lot of exchanges that uh, take place. So there's a lot of emotional equity that is spent 
on dealing with people. So I would like to know what's your curriculum. I mean, and like you said, it's sort of something you brought together. The name you said wasn't creative, but I think it's pretty good. Sure. Um, but tell me a little bit about what your goal is in those classes. Yeah, it's really twofold. Um, because I think emotional intelligence is important for a person. So for me, speaking to agents, or I've done it with a group of lenders too, mm -hmm. their own personal way to navigate the emotions of the industry mm -hmm. uh, or of life. I mean, it can apply to family world uh, anywhere. So um, it's both for their own benefit and also to help them help their clients. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I say kind of twofold. Um, there's five things that we look at in our class. One, it starts with self-awareness. And for me, that is on purpose. It's very foundational to someone who wants to grow in their EQ or emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, some people may feel that they are very self-aware and there's tests you can take, you know, personality profiling like the Myers-Briggs or the DISC. My personal favorite is the Enneagram. The reason it's my favorite is you, you really have to work at it. They do have online tests that you can take and kind of get an idea. When I did that, it kept, it was wrong. So mm -hmm. obviously I was lacking in some sort of self-awareness right. um so but i also think it's really important to get in uh get feedback from others you know we may feel like we know ourselves very well and have very high self-awareness but our best friend our spouse our co-worker may say, say something different right i had to do for class a project where i got what's called 360 feedback and so mm. i had co-workers um my, my spouse, my wife, Brooke, and some friends fill out these personality questions based for me. Mm -hmm. And the idea was I fill it out myself, and then I see what they all say. Hmm. And for the most part, we were pretty aligned, although I did learn about myself that I am not as good with change as I would have thought. Uh, uh, I thought, yeah, sure, I love change. Is anybody really good yeah. with change? But, <laughs> but yeah. my, uh, my friends and, and family might say a little differently. So hmm. that's really important. So anyway, back to the, the structure of the class, that's why I start with self-awareness and try and give a, a few pointers on how, to, how people can grow in that. And again, I think doing that in relationship with honest feedback is really important. Uh, second piece is self-regulation. So once you recognize okay, when I have a deal fall through, this is my default emotion. This is how I feel. This is what I, but what do I do with that? Does it, you know, make me want to go take the rest of the day off or the week off? Do I bounce back real quickly? Um, so the idea there is it's important not just to know what you're feeling, but know what to do with those feelings and also manage them in a healthy way. Um, you know, sometimes there's temptation to, as you mentioned, Kevin, the interaction with another agent may be frustrating and you may want to share some things that are not very kind to that agent. <laughs> However, <laughs> that's it, a great way of putting it. It's important that you both remember, hey, we have the same goal here. You've got your clients. I've got mine. And our goal is to get this house sold. Mm. And so it's important to remember that even if you're not seeing eye to eye on some things. That's interesting because like a lot of times how it is that the other person perceives where you're coming from, even though like you're really mad. Right. And, and, and it comes out, that's where I think like stepping back and regulating in your mind, okay, 
what is my normal go-to? My normal go-to is anger, right? Because you're you're taking money from my wallet, right. essentially what you right. think. But the best thing to do, like you're saying, is like, I mean, take a five second, take a moment, get on the P forty eight train, which is what my pastor says. Yep. Philippians four eight, and before you react, because right. like, well, I don't want to get spiritual in here, but like the Holy Spirit can't really regulate your reaction. He can, do, he can help you with your response. That's right. right. That's, so. that's good. It's, and to me, it, I love that you said, take a moment, you know, that to, is one of the most calming things for people. And even, um, taking a moment to maybe write down, this is how I'm feeling. And mm-hmm. you'll, you'll notice that kind of brings you down a little bit, you know, in working with clients, this comes up a lot with the home inspection, you know, they get this report back and they think this is, this is the worst house ever built. I've, I found it. I found the one that's the worst and you you can, (laughs) you can see it in their eyes or hear in their voice that they are stressed, anxious. And what I think is really important most real estate agents, myself included for a long time would quickly go to the solution. Instead, what we've learned that's really helpful, and this has some neuroscience behind it, but is to meet their emotion with your own emotion Mm. and acknowledge that or contain their emotion. Or even, you know, I'll give you an example. If they're feeling really anxious about it, just taking a moment to say, gosh, I bet that was really stressful Mm. to get that back. And, you know, Mm. um, and just take a a little bit of time to validate what they're feeling, even if they're not saying I feel stressed, you can tell what's going on by their, you know, their actions or their yeah. voice. Um, and then you can help them move into more logical. How are we going to, what are we going to do next? How are we going to tackle this? So in this, we're still at number two. I know we have to get sure. to three, four or five. Yes. That's fine. Cause we have a segment and a half left a little bit less than a segment and a half. So real quick, I want to interject something here. I heard an, um, excuse me, a guy who was an FBI hostage investigator mm. at that leadership conference that I went to last week. And he was talking about, you know, how just like, and I don't know if you, you dive into this, but just in a conversation, I know that's not a, it's not a hostage situation, sure. but it's, it's like mirroring for instance. Yes. And th- do you talk about that type of stuff? Yes. Yeah. yeah mirroring, active listening, making mm. sure they know, uh, that you're with them. That's really a, a big piece of that. Mm. Um, letting them know that they're with you. Right. I see. I just mirrored. Exactly. Okay. You Got did it. it. All right, cool. So, um, We'll, we'll kind of move along because it'll come back I to that in get a second. All, I want to get to all of it, yeah. Yeah, so number three, we talk about motivation. Oh. And it's really important um, to have something you're going after, and it doesn't have to be the same thing. You know, it's interesting, mm-hmm. uh, Nick and I work on a team, we've got other agents, and there's a handful of the agents that are not necessarily motivated by the financial aspect. Mm-hmm. So throwing out bonuses and that sort of thing is nice, but maybe isn't what's going to get them moving mm. a little faster, a little quicker. little love language. Uh, yeah, it's, it's paying attention to what's mm. really, uh, what's important to them. And, and wow. knowing that, also knowing that with your clients, you know, ultimately their motivation is to buy or sell a home, mm-hmm. but they may prefer a very you know, the most stress-free route Mm -hmm. rather than getting top dollar. And it's good for you to know that and know how to 
work with them on that. Yeah, because I know that I've dealt with a home inspection after home inspection, just as an example. Sure. Or negotiations, you know, and I tried to always stay out of the middle of it. Right. But I also could sense what was most important to that person. Yeah. Like they just wanted the house. They, yep. they didn't care how they got it. They just wanted the house. Or I don't really even want a home inspection done, <laughs> you know, right. which, I mean, you have to help them understand the, the, the pros and cons to all of those things. But the motivation, man, that's critical, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It really is. Um, the fourth piece we talk about is empathy. This is this is one of my favorite, um, and we we really touched on it before. And that is communicating that you are with your clients. And so, honestly, it's even using language like our offer, our inspection mm. report, putting yourself in there with them, so they really feel like you're part of this. Um, you know, a good way to provide empathy is so to good. to relate to people. Yeah. Um, and so it, it may look like, Hey, I remember when I, when we bought our house and I got the inspection report, man, I just felt horrible. You know, I was anxious and, but a quick note that I learned from Dr. Townsend in that relating story, don't let it go longer than maybe 30 to 45 seconds, because then you've kind of hijacked the situation. If right. this becomes all about you right, and right. they say, no, we we're talking about our home inspection, not yours. So yeah. keep it short, but it's good to relate. Yeah. Um, now hold on number four, because we're getting ready to come up on this break. Sure. We have one more segment left. So we are at empathy right now. So self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, and then empathy. This is really good information. And we're going to continue this conversation right after these messages. We'll be right back. Screen door slams, Mary's dress sweeps. Like a vision, she dances across the The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is again Kevin Ray. Thank you for joining us and thank you so much for stopping by. And we hope that you share this show with friends and family and even colleagues, anyone that you feel could use some of these uh, very, very interesting learning opportunities uh, about leadership and not just leadership, but uh, teamwork and being able to have the ability to help people, not just uh, fill a need from, you know, transactional standpoint, but a lot of what we do is relational, you know, right. And relational <clears throat> sometimes takes a little bit more, uh, empathy, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it does take a little bit of, you know, just for sure, self-awareness, but you've listed in your class that you give the, um, I think it was emotional. What did you call it again? Emotional IQ in, and real estate. Uh, emotional intelligence in okay. real estate is what I've titled it. I but, like it. Mm-hmm. So it's very straightforward mm-hmm. and it, it is not, um, complicated subject matter, but what is complicated, I guess the subject matter is complicated. The titles are not, let's put it that right. way. Right. So you talked about self-awareness and then you went into dis- uh, describing, uh, self-regulation and then motivation and then empathy. All of those has some very good points that you made. So if you hadn't listened to it, you can go back to the previous segment. Um, but number five, let's talk a little bit about number five. Sure. Number five is people skills. And I know that's a very general term. Um, what I focus on at the beginning is ways to build trust. You know, that's a really important part of a relationship with a client is trust. And a couple things that I say about that 
that are important is it's good to know your client, know their name, know their kids' names, you know, as much information as you can mm. communicates that you care about them, and that leads to greater trust. And then I also think it's really important to know your craft. I mm. use that um, basically in the sense of be a really good real estate agent. It doesn't mean you have to have all the answers um, because the next point is learn how to be professionally vulnerable. You know, most people, this comes up a lot in leadership, they don't necessarily want to follow Superman who's got it all together and has all the answers and never has a problem. They want to follow someone who's real, but professionally vulnerable. They don't need to know their boss's deep, dark secrets, right. but they need to know when he says, I'm kind of nervous about this shift in, in uh, the market, you know, or that new competitor's product or whatever it is. I'm feeling, you know, just a realness. I'm feeling anxious about that. Um, but then also spin it from there to, I think we can do this. I think we can work together. And so that comes up a lot too, is being professionally vulnerable. Mm. Um, real estate, one of the reasons I love it, it's always different. There's so many aspects to it. And it's okay to say, you know what? I've never encountered that before. Let's figure this out, how we move forward uh, with that question. Um, another people skill that I think is important, and it comes up a lot in the coaching world, is curiosity. I think that's really a good skill. And you can learn a lot about people and their situations and how they'll handle handle things by just being curious. Mm. Um, so that's one of the key things we focus on, too. Uh, is just how do you ask good questions um, oh. to move forward and help someone process something? I'll give a quick story if that's okay. Um, yeah, of course. A friend of mine, um, a classmate, actually had a challenge at work, and he called me and said, "Hey, I'm I'm really having a hard time. I just got assigned this project. It's totally out of my wheelhouse. I don't know what to do. I'm really stressed." And my initial thought was, "Oh, well, I should make some recommendations." But he wasn't asking me to fix it. I didn't even know what the project was. But my thought was, well, maybe I'll just tell him, maybe there's someone on your hall that can help you. And you guys can do it together. But I thought, you know what? That's not, again, I've just been trained this. I need to stay, you know, stay in bounds here. And so I said, wow, that sounds really, really tough. It reminds me once of when I got assigned this project and I just felt lost and I didn't know where to start. And he was like, yeah, that's how I felt. So he said, thanks. I feel a little bit better. Wow. And I said, great. Well, about 30 minutes later, I get a text and he said, hey, great news. There's this guy down my hall that's great at this. Wow. He's going to help me out. and We're going to knock it out this afternoon. And I thought, that's so interesting. He didn't need me to make a recommendation or give advice. He just needed me to know that that's a really tough place to be and to relate to him. That's, that's back at empathy. Yeah. Yes, that's a, that, exactly. Yeah. That goes back to empathy. So, but, um, that, but the people skills was knowing that that's what he needed right. and not trying to give him what you th thought he needed because ultimately he gained a lot of uh, courage and confidence by you instilling in him that there was a relatable, empathetic person in, on his, in his corner. Yes. So he was able to take that move and move out and find the guy that you were going to recommend to go out looking for. Mm -hmm. So you were able to not steal his confidence because if you had told him to do that, then he would have said, well, that's just your idea. Right. That's so powerful. It's interesting. And I mean, in the the neuroscience side of it, what I've learned is in that moment where he's feeling that, he's really stuck in his amygdala. People say that's when you're in that fight or flight 
or freeze oh. moment, and he just can't really think logically. So my goal was to help him move to a place where in his brain he's operating from his prefrontal cortex, which is more of the kind of logical, linear side. Mm-hmm. And in order to help someone do that, you you kind of guide them through that emotional experience and relate with empathy. But and part so, of the people skills, I mean, you, you mentioned asking questions mm-hmm. involving that. I mean, that's sure. something that Kevin and I, that's what we trained to do. I mean, right. I could, I could, we could sit and ask questions. I guess that's why Kevin's so good on this show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but, but most, a lot of people don't. I mean, they're not good at that. No. How yeah. Do, how do you get past that? It mm-hmm. takes work. I, I yeah. do think some people are a little more naturally bent. Mm-hmm. to that but i think it really takes work and takes practice and some of the things we it did builds relationship that's right it builds relationship and you know all this talk about emotional agents it's interesting because what i'm telling people is to get out of the that prefrontal cortex like all the logical side and really experience know what to do when you're in that emotional state or your mm-hmm. client is um but when i'm just kind of giving information and they're kind of lending because mm-hmm. they're just getting information given to them. Right. So the real work where I've seen people grow, myself included, oh. is in practicing it. And sometimes that's in role plays. That was very uncomfortable when I started that in grad school, <laughs> yeah. but I kind of got used to it. And I'd even call people when it wasn't an assignment and say, hey, I've got this tough conversation with a client I'm about to have. Can I role play it with you? Mm. And you give me some feedback. And man, more than anything, that just reduced the fear anxiety that I was feeling yeah. before going into that conversation. Emotional intelligence. I mean, that's just the thing, too, is I'm just thinking this through in my head, is that you have to try to determine whether the person that you're talking with thinks about things in a linear fashion right. or whether they're motivated by or they're outcome driven. Right. If they're outcome driven, which a lot of millennials are, mm-hmm. they're like, I want to see what it looks like. They're the guys that I heard about, heard this on a leadership conference, and I don't remember who t- said it, but they're the people that will get into a video game, get all the cheats, finish and complete the game, but then they'll go back and start the game over and actually play it all the way through. They just right. want to know what it looks like at the end. Yeah. So you have to know that. Like, how do they, how, how are they receptive? Mm-hmm. That is so, that is really cool. That is really cool. Yeah. And, and, and Kevin, to that point, you know, I mentioned some of those personality typing systems. It's mm. really helpful for your own self-awareness. You have your clients take one of those before you. You know, uh, I should. <laughs> that would help. But it's also what's what's beneficial about those is to not just know your type, but to really be pretty familiar with all types. Yes. Because then you, you 16, don't want to box think, in the, people in. In Myers-Briggs, they're yeah. 16. Yeah. You know, DISC has, has their version. Um, but you're a type. Yeah. Right. I mean, so that's yeah. got to be kind of difficult. Have yes. you ever, I mean, I, the one that we look at at our office is which friend's character you are. <laughs> oh, I love that one. <laughs> Mark would be Fifi. Fee- 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 <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Just kidding. But, or maybe Ross, I don't know. Did, did you see your yeah. pediatrician while you were like 20 years old? Never mind. <laughs> no, but I seriously, didn't. So, I'm a baby boomer. I, I got it. Exactly. It's true. But to your point though, understanding what yours is back to the self-awareness. Right. And really, when you're self-aware, you can start to be aware of what other people are going through and what their what their drivers are. Exactly. And it helps you know how to communicate to them. You know, that's really the last part of that people skills is communication. Mm. I think that's such a key way to not just build trust, 
but to really establish a relationship. So for as a real estate agent, sometimes it's making a phone call to say, I don't have an update, mm. but I'm still calling to tell you that. And it goes a long way. Yeah. People really care about that. When people look at you as a leader or like a role model, which I'm not saying that we're role models, but to my kids, I am certainly. Sure. Um, and what I heard Todd Henry say, he says that trust is like a water balloon. Mm. And when a leader or someone who is supposedly leading the charge decides to cancel a meeting or delay a meeting, you're poking little holes in this water balloon. Mm. And you know, that's, it's hard to get the water back in the balloon. Right. So you have to be so intentional about that, especially in a trust oriented uh, industry, like what we are in, Right. you have to be way over the top to be so concerned about that mm -hmm. balloon. Yeah. You know, that's really good. Hey, one thing I wanted to yep. mention real quick, um, these five points I've gotten from Daniel Goleman, who is a brilliant man and really the leader on emotional intelligence. So I yeah. wanted to make sure I yeah. gave him credit. Well, we think you're brilliant and <laughs> I want to tell people how to get in touch with you really quickly. I only have a couple of seconds, but sure. they can reach you at uh, the... Why don't you tell them? Sure. <laughs> uh, my email is Daniel Park, just my full name, at kw.com. Uh, that's probably the best place to find me or at the nicknicoteam.com is also go. a website. And Mark will put it on our website as well. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on the Housing Hour. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know, so come here to find out. Also, check us out at thehousinghour.com. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.